You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning. I know, right? <laughs> uh, I'm not hearing my microphone. Maybe you are. Okay, there it is. So I literally went out yesterday shopping for my wife's Christmas presents because a couple weeks ago, I was under the impression we weren't gonna do presents for each other. And then she's like, oh yeah, I spent mm, amount of money on you. I thought, you spent what? Like, I can't be that husband. So I went out shopping and I thought, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna buy red velvet pants to go with my red velvet jacket. And lucky for you, I couldn't find any. And since I don't own an ugly Christmas sweater, this is as close as it gets. So welcome to King's Hill. We're really glad you're here with us today. Yesterday, as I'm running around, traffic in Avon is nuts. I don't know exactly what town you live in. And every store you go into, it is an extremely long line just to buy two items. And in every store, I thought to myself, do I really need these? Do I really need them today? But I know it's not going to get better. I know it's only going to get worse the closer we get to Christmas and the procrastinators wait longer and longer and longer. So I went ahead and stood in line and I came home exhausted. Have you guys experienced that yet? The procrastinators are like, no, why? We got another week and a half. Why would we wait? Or why not wait? All right, here's my question for you this morning. Are you more blessed or stressed? Which one are you? Like on a scale of one to 10, I actually want you to give yourself a number. So blessed is a one, stressed is a 10. It's not about, you know, just pick a number in there. Where are you? More blessed or more stressed right now. All right, you ready? We're just gonna do a quick test. Raise your hand. If you're at home, you can raise your hand. I can't see you. But Mark Cuban, would you build that technology for us? Do us a favor. All right, here we go. If you are a 10 or higher, would you raise your hands? Okay, there's no such thing as higher, but I'll give you credit for 10. All right, if you are a seven to nine, raise your hand. All right, all right. Look around the room. Say, here is it. Five, five, let's say uh, uh, four to six. There is no six. Clearly, this is a trick. I'm going to assume I typoed that and uh, no math or Bible college. Now you see the problem. All right. <laughs> two or three. Anybody two or three? How about a one? Anybody a perfectly blessed and not stressed? Well, I have a theory that I will unpack with you throughout today, and I can't tell it all to you yet, but there are two Greek words for blessed. We talked about one of them last week, which Andy also talked about, eulogio. And now we're going to talk about one called makarios, makarios. And if you say it wrong, it sounds like makarenios or something. And we can all dance the macarena together. And half of you don't know what that is because you're too young. But the word makarios is literally the word blessed, which literally means long or extended, as in our joy grows and extends as we connect with God and the life he provides. That's what it literally means. So our joy grows and extends as we connect with God and the life he provides. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. This is actually the root of the American idea of happiness. I don't know if you know that. In fact, we'll look at a text later that unpacks this a little bit, but that's because happiness comes as a result of enjoying the benefits or the privileges that literally extend from God. Now, where this has gotten confused in America and the American church is we are the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. So therefore, we tend to think of happiness as stuff. But as every parent knows on Christmas Day, it doesn't take long for the happiness to disappear. It's not long before your kids want another toy or another video game or another thing. It was never about that in the first place. But here's the thing. 
Did you know that God actually built your brains for happiness? Did you know that? Like you are hardwired for happiness, for joy, for pleasure. Did you know that? And the problem isn't that God didn't build it that way. The problem is all of those things have gotten hijacked to be something they weren't originally. Just take for instance, here's some things we know about brain science today. We may learn more down the road. We may change some words and definitions, but these are the words we put together to express what happens in your brain. Literally, there's something called oxytocin, oxytocin. It's a chemical of comfort, like released in a handshake or a hug or a pat on the back. It comes from human connection. You can't fake it some other way. That's how it comes to you. Then there's dopamine. It's the chemical of excitement. It's released through discovery and exploration and adventure. And then lastly, there's something called serotonin. And this is the chemical of respect, released through accolades, titles, trophies, accomplishments, achievements. Now, here's the thing. All of these together create joy, happiness, satisfaction in our brain. And we actually will just draw a distinction and say, well, it's a different chemical that's released when you do these things, but your brain and your body doesn't know the difference. And that's a really big thing because we are all buying into a culture that says the way to get happy is to trigger this reward center of your brain and says more, 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 more. And we don't really stop to say, what really makes me feel good? What really makes me happy? Here's the thing. The bad news about these chemicals, the good news is God put them in there. The bad news is they're short-lived and they have to be replenished over and over and over. And this creates a craving or one might say an addiction to these, my friend Mark Moore calls them happy juices. The good news is that it doesn't take much to release just a tiny little squirt of any of these chemicals. It can be as simple as a like on social media or somebody shares something you posted and you're like, oh, I'm awesome, I'm important, I'm significant in the world. Or a joke at work or a handshake or buying a gift for someone or smelling a scent that reminds you of something in your youth. See, that's all God's plan. By design, God intended for you to do the same things over and over and over again and you would achieve small doses of happiness. Joy is not what you receive, it's how you connect, it's how you live, and it's how you achieve. That'll, that, man, I should have thought of that as like a, something to put up on the slides. Like, that rhymes, that's good. Like, you could preach that over and over and over again. Joy is not what you receive, it's how you connect, it's how you live, and it's how you achieve. It's those things that make us feel significant in life. But yet we keep doing what at Christmas time? Buying more and more and more and more stuff for the people that we love. And there's a reason. Because the stuff facilitates connection. The stuff facilitates the chemicals in our brain. In fact, we know that about 31% of people are more productive in their lives the happier they are. That's because, just to give you an example, when you sell more stuff, you're happier. Did you know that? And part of it is because you get more money. Trigger. So you can buy more stuff. Feel good, trigger. And it just keeps going. But the good news is happiness makes us more productive. Happiness actually helps. We get addicted to this stuff. And here's why. Because when we receive happiness from God, we live happiness in our lives and we give happiness away. So all of it is part of the system that if we're not careful, could get hijacked 
by this world instead of having its place with God. So I'm here to give you a solution. (laughs) Grace is what God gives. Joy is what we receive. Does that make sense? God gives grace. We're blessed. So what do we receive as a result? Joy. So what do we do with our joy? Give it away. And what do we get as a result? More joy. So then what do we do with our joy? Give more away. You're like, I'm not following you, pastor. I know. That's okay. I'll get there. We're going to look at this today through the birth narratives. But before we do that, I want to pause and just say, well done, church. All over our church today, puzzles and stuffed animals and I think it was games, not specifically puzzles, but uh, stuffed animals and toys have been brought in. We have a flood of them out there and we have even more coming last week. In fact, here's just a little example. I believe this was gathered in uh, last week. So there's even more out there now. We took 500 tags. uh, I think 250 boys, 250 girls. We took teenagers because teenagers are a little harder than kids. And uh, we weren't sure that our church would get them all. We're like, okay, what's gonna happen if next week we still have to push it? Uh, We told the second service last week, we only have 125 left. I think it was 125. And uh, before the service, at the end of the service, before it was over, we had people sneaking out. They said they were going to the bathroom. They weren't going to the bathroom. (laughs) Every single one was taken. And uh, I love being a part of a church. I love being a part of a church. That gets, it's not about getting more. It's about giving more. It's about receiving from God and then out of the overflow of what he's given us, giving to others. Now, how do I make sense of that with Christmas? Well, I will do my best, but I do wanna make one more ask of all of you. Just one more ask. And here's my ask. In roughly two weeks, on Christmas Eve and Eve Eve, we will be doing some services just to love our community. We know it's the second biggest attended Sunday of the year. Sometimes it's the first Easter and Christmas flip back and forth. We don't know how many people will be here. We think there will be between 1,500 and 3,000 people in person. We have no idea how many will be here. That's why we added an extra service this year on Eve Eve in order to accommodate people who wanted to spread out and have more space. So there'll be plenty of space for everybody. You don't need to worry. That's why we didn't do tickets because we don't think it's going to be necessary. We think there'll be plenty, plenty of space between our services. But what we do need is people to show up and love others to take what they've got from the Lord and to give it. We're short on just about anything you can imagine. Now, we only have kids programming up through a young age, like four or five that I didn't write down and I can't remember, but Joe knows everything. And so he can tell you, but we need basically everything else. So listen, if you happen to play an instrument, you never been in the band, it's probably too late to get involved, but we need you next year. We do need greeters, we need hosts, we need people who are willing to come in and be kind and merciful to people. If you can think of it, we need it. So what I need you to do is text the word Christmas to 317-565-4911. What I would encourage you to do is grab your kids, if you have them, if not, grab your spouse. If you don't have one, grab your friends. If you don't have any, we can help with that too. Now, what you should do is just attend one service and serve at the other. That's it, it'd be really easy. And let's just overwhelm our team. Let's actually get to the point where we have to say to volunteers, we don't need you because we have enough. Wouldn't that be a great problem to have? Now, let's move back into the sermon. I wanna open up the Christmas story. I wanna look at everything I've been telling you about happiness and the way that God has wired you and the way that you achieve happiness at this Christmas season because it's not gonna come through just buying more stuff. Luke chapter one, verse 26. We're gonna pick up now meeting this nice young little girl, Little might be a small stretch, but she was ancient Jewish. Maybe not. Here we go. Verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, 
a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The word favored throughout the Bible is directly connected to the word grace. In fact, thank you. God's favor is God's grace. Anytime you see the word favor, it is almost always the word grace. It's just that the context tells us that they meant favor instead of grace. Now, in our English language, we have to make sense of that. But the reason that Mary is favored is because God's grace is upon her. If you think about the details of the story, we do not know how old Mary was. But we believe she was probably somewhere between, say, 15 and 18 years old. So she's a teenage girl in a very small town. We know from the context of the story that they were poor. When Mary and Joseph go to offer a sacrifice, they offer the sacrifice of the poor that was allowed in the Old Testament for those who didn't actually own enough to sacrifice to God. So we know that she and Joseph are very, very poor. So she's a poor, currently single, soon-to-be mother who's trying to tell everybody in her town how she got pregnant. How do you think that went over in her world? About as good as it would go over today. Just because this is ancient Israel doesn't mean that they thought this kind of activity was normal. So when the angel appeared to Mary, she has a couple of choices. Choice number one, she could say no. I mean, imagine. I don't know what that would have looked like had Mary said no to an angel. But she chose not to say that to option number one. She said Yes, yes, I will allow my life to be inconvenienced. I will allow my life to be stressed. I will allow my life to be overwhelmed. I will allow my life to follow your plans, God. And her description, if you go back to verse 28 there, is that she believes when the angel says she's favored. What if blessing and stressing aren't mutually opposite concepts. Let's look at the next verse, 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. <laughs> Duh. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. That's powerful. I used to read this text and think to myself, he means because she's talking to an angel, right? Because if an angel stepped into this room and he was wearing, say, a red velvet jacket, whatever <laughs> angels wear exactly, <laughs> You'd be a little scared, right? You would be. Everybody who meets an angel is terrified. So there's something about their presence that lets you know this isn't normal. I used to think that's what the angel was saying. I'm starting to think that the angel meant more than that. He meant at least that, but he meant more than that. Mary, what I'm telling you, if you're keeping up with what I'm saying, what I'm processing with you, it's going to scare you. Nevertheless, don't be afraid, Mary, because you have found favor, charis, grace with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and shall be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, forever. 
and his kingdom will never end. Don't be afraid, Mary. Mary, I know this is going to be terrifying. Don't be afraid, Mary. I know this might seem stressful. Don't be afraid, Mary. I know this might seem like you have no idea how this is going to happen. Don't be afraid, Mary. I know you might be wondering, but what about Joseph? When I tell him I'm pregnant, do you know what he's going to say? But don't be afraid, Mary. And my parents, oh, I can hear my mother already. Don't be afraid, Mary. And what about the kids that I've grown up with in our community? Don't be afraid, Mary. How in the world am I going to raise a child? I'm only a child myself. Don't be afraid, Mary. And that child is going to be the savior of the world? Mary, don't be afraid. Why? Because God is with you. And he has found grace for you, with you, always. Mary asked the angel in verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? Verse 35, that's a natural question. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I touched on this briefly last week, but I find it fascinating that Elizabeth is six months along. Now, my wife has been pregnant twice, three kids. We brought the first one home from Taiwan. So for those of you trying to keep up with the math, I got that math. No six, I can't count that, but I get the three. In my, both of my wife's pregnancies, and I don't know what normal is. I know my experience. In both of my wife's pregnancies, the third trimester was the hardest. It was uncomfortable. It was uneasy. She was exhausted. It was all the miserables, especially the closer she got to the end. There was like this power surge from like months three through six, somewhere in that range. And then like all of a sudden it's like, you know, life is miserable in every way. And my heart hurt for her. I cannot imagine what that was like. And in Elizabeth's six month. Mary, who finds out she's pregnant now, goes to be with her. And Elizabeth serves her and loves her and has great joy with her. Now, when they have their interaction, something powerful happens. Let me read you verse 38 before we go into that. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I always wondered, by the way, because it's not 100% sure, did it happen that night? Like, we don't know exactly, right? Like, there's, there's no um, stick to test whether or not exactly what point this all happened. Like, did it just happen? And like, oh, by the way, this is now happening? Or was it like that night? Or was it a week later? Was it, you know, when exactly this happened? I don't know. But Mary then goes to Elizabeth's house. And as we read last week, when she gets to see Elizabeth, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, woohoo, jumps up and down. It's like so excited. It's so ecstatic. And Elizabeth in her pain and in her discomfort and in her suffering, serves Mary for a few months. Probably until about the time John the Baptist was born that she's like, all right, you gotta go home. All right, I gotta, I gotta take care of mine now. Now, there's something to be said of this. Do you think Elizabeth, as a much older woman, far past the age of being able to have children, in fact, so much so that it was a sign to Mary from the angel that God is in this. Do you see that? Elizabeth has to probably be past the point where people can have babies. 
That's why he could say to Mary, Mary, trust me, you already know this about your aunt that she is pregnant. You know that that's not possible and we did it over there. God did it over there. We're going to do it again here. There's no we with God. That's not appropriate. God is one. But the Holy Spirit is going to do this again, except for this time, he's going to do it in you, young Mary. Why is that powerful? Because do women in their, I don't know how old, in their 60s, do they get exhausted if they were to get pregnant and give birth to a baby? Any women in their 60s want to hook me up here and tell me the answer to that question? I think I know it. But I find it a powerful point in the story because Elizabeth seems to have far more happiness, far more joy when she gets the opportunity to serve Mary. Why? Because she's tapping into all of the things that God has put into her brain. She is achieving something significant by bringing God's servant into the world. She's achieving something significant by serving somebody else in their hour of need. And especially since that person gets to hold baby Jesus. And she gets all of the natural connections that come with being a mother and helping someone else and being with someone else. And she gets to live an adventure. To see how these three things wrap up into our lives. Everything we do is intended to be about what God is doing in the world. That's why Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. She's tapping into, yes, this is going to be hard, but yes, it's going to be awesome because it's going to be an adventure with God. What we have learned, this is just science, culture, not to count the Bible's been telling us for thousands and thousands of years, but the more selfishly we live, the less blessed we feel. It is a dead end. You can buy and accumulate and have and do, and if it's only for you, it will be miserable. But if your life becomes an adventure of partnering with God in this world, doing what he has called you and built you to do, it's amazing how it hacks into that brain. And all of a sudden, life is filled with happiness and joy and pleasure. In fact, Mary, after she meets Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, uh, baby, jumps in the womb, and they sing, whatever, Mary starts to sing a song. It's a famous song. It's called, Mary, Did You Know? No, it's not really. I made that up. I'm just making sure any of you are with me. Luke chapter one, we see her song. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, on all generations, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Single mom, poor, small town, judged. Oh, by the way, after the baby's born, a crazy king ruler is gonna try to kill him. You're gonna be running from your life. Oh, you're gonna be forced while you're in your last trimester or so to try to find a place to stay, you're not gonna find one. You're gonna be traveling long distances. How in the world could Mary ever say that I am blessed? It's because life's most stressful moments often hold the greatest blessings when God is leading us, when God is leading us. If perhaps you are not experiencing the blessings of God right now, 
you're not feeling that, you're not sensing that, you don't believe that, perhaps it's because you're living your life for yourself and not for him. This actually plays out throughout the New Testament. Jesus' first sermon ever. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Literally, he goes up on the side of a mountain, that's why it's called that, and he teaches a sermon. It's a long sermon. And here's the thing we know about the sermon. If you were to read all of it, say Matthew 5 and 6, if you were to read all of it, we're not gonna read all of it, we will read part of it. What you will find is Jesus is saying, this is what it means like to live in my kingdom. It's totally different from what the world tells you it looks like. So if you can't find happiness, doing what you've been told your whole life will bring you happiness, let's go back to what Jesus said, you know, the creator of the universe, and just see what he says. Matthew chapter five, he says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's the word makarios or happy. So every time you see this, every single time in this text, that's the word happy, makarios. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now stop for a second before we go on. When you look at these, does this look like the definition of who you think is blessed in this world? The poor in spirit, those who are mourning, the meek or the humble, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? This seems like the exact opposite of what we should think of as the people who are happiest in this world. And that ought to tell you somebody is working against you. And he wears red too, or at least in Halloween costumes he does. You have an enemy. And he wants to steal, kill, and destroy your joy. All right, let's come back to the beginning of this for a minute before we read on to the next few. Let's, for a moment, let's invite God to speak to us. Are there one of these in the next few verses that we're going to read that maybe God is trying to tell you if you aren't experiencing happiness or blessing, maybe it's because your pride is out of whack. Maybe it's because you think because you're mourning the death of a loved one that you think that's the end of the story when in fact seeing that God is gonna come for you. Maybe it's because you don't think that being poor is actually gonna be a blessing, whatever it might be. Let's just invite God to take one of these and challenge the way that we think of happiness. Remember, happiness is something we receive and then we live in it and then we give it away. Let's pray real quick. Father, would you just speak to us right now through your word? Would you encourage us, challenge us? God, we all came in here with a perspective, me included. God, would you challenge that perspective and give us your idea of the world in Jesus' name, amen. Here we go, let's just read these now. See if one jumps out at you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, 
because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Did one of those stand out to you? Did any of those jump out at you either as a word of encouragement or perhaps as a word of challenge? It did for me. Every time I go through this list, there's something in here that God says to me. How do I become a better peacemaker? How do I make sure that I am both merciful and humble? How do I make sure that I am comforting those who mourn? See, when we live God's ways, things happen. The way we become happy is not by accumulating or making more. The way we become happy is by joining God on his mission of loving this world the way that he does. As I already said, blessed is not the opposite of stressed. It's not. Jesus said, while in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, you're gonna have long weeks, long days, long months, and some of you, long years. But God promises he's with you. So do not be afraid. So do not be afraid. Blessed is not the opposite of stressed. Blessed is the confident expectation for everyone saved by God's grace. Here's what I know. Christmas has more uh, elation than any other time of the year, I think. And also more exhaustion. We do so many extra parties and shopping and decorating and undecorating and redecorating and cooking and baking and you name it, and eating. Oh, thank you for the eating. Desserts galore. And all of these are good things. But all of them are stressful things. And perhaps the thing that makes this season more stressful than any for anyone is the grief that many feel between grandparents or parents and mine and my wife's family who have passed, for some of you children or loved ones or broken marriages that have fallen apart or children who are far away or broken relationships with your children. There's nothing like Christmas to help us feel a lack of joy as well as joy. And it's very confusing for us. But I want to encourage you because your joy doesn't come from what's outside you anyway. Your joy comes from your connection to the grace, to the favor of God himself. And when you join God in what he is doing in the world, he can redeem all of those bad things. Are you with me? How does he redeem those bad things? Well, let me close with my favorite text in the entire Bible. And I know I say it every week about different texts, but I really mean it on this one. In Romans chapter eight, we see something powerful. And I've said this before. So if you've been to Kingsway, you've heard me. But we see something powerful. And that is this. We see that creation is groaning. There was recently, I think it was yesterday morning, I'm not exactly sure when it hit, a tornado. If you saw that, I think it crossed four states, hundreds of miles. They were debating when I read about it whether to call it one tornado or one storm that produced more than one tornado. And I don't know what the, where they landed. I don't think it matters Hundreds of people are dead. Many more will be injured or have lost loved ones. The devastation is unbelievable. 
In Romans 8, Paul is addressing that question. He's saying, I know that the earth seems out of control right now. It is groaning, longing to be released from sin. And then he goes on and he says, and you, you're groaning as well. Whether it's your health is failing or a brokenness in a relationship or a loved one who's passed or someone who's attacking you and persecuting you or a hardship of some sort, something that's difficult or painful in the spiritual or in the physical realm. So we groan and we cry out. So the earth cries out saying, free us from sin. And the human cries out saying, release us from sin. And we feel so alone. And then Paul lets us know in Romans 8, there's one more person groaning. Read it for yourself. Same words used three times, groaning. And the third person groaning is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, who groans on our behalf, goes to God, our Father, and says, God, help them, strengthen them, encourage them. Don't let them be afraid. Teach them to hang on. God, give them what they need. And Paul says, we don't even know what to ask for because we can't find the right words because what we're experiencing is so intense. The Holy Spirit goes on our behalf to God and communicates for us. So you don't even have to have the perfect words. God's got them for you. That's what it means for God to be with you. And then he concludes in Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's Jesus. And those he predestined, He also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Who can condemn you is what he's saying. No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. No, and all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, you can clap for God. So listen, you may be stressed, but you are far, far more blessed. What I want to do real quick is I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. But before I do that, I want to invite anybody who doesn't have that to have it. Jesus doesn't promise you an easy life. 
He promises you that no matter what you go through, he will be with you till the very end. So you're not alone. You're not alone. And you don't have to just not be alone with the spiritual world like Jesus. You can actually not be alone here. Remember all those chemicals in the brain? One of those is unlocked by handshakes and hugs. There's nothing more lonely than showing up at church and knowing no one. That's terribly lonely. It's the one place you're supposed to feel love and you feel like everybody else has joy, but I don't. And the only way to change that is to get connected. And the way we start by getting connected is we connect to God as we connect with others. So listen, if you have never accepted Jesus as your savior and you want God on your side and you wanna experience true happiness, true joy, true blessing, I wanna invite you into that right now. It starts with a relationship with him. So I just wanna encourage you right now. I'm not gonna wait a long time. Raise your hand if that's you. Every single week we've done this, somebody has raised their hand. It's just most of them have been at the 11 o'clock service because they're a little bit more bold. I won't prolong this, but if that's you, raise your hand. We'll have people come to you, give you a card. And the rest of us, I'm gonna pray a prayer blessing over you. And may you go today and feel and experience God's joy, not as you just spend money, but as you live intentionally on mission with him. Who are you gonna love and serve and bless and encourage and shake a hand and hug? Who are you gonna call and invite to a small group or a gathering or a dinner? How are you gonna partner with God at Christmas Eve services to serve other people? What are you going to do to do what it takes to feel blessed? Let's pray. God, bless us now in the name of Jesus. We are blessed because God in the heavenly realms, we are right with you, connected to you. So God, encourage us, send us out into this sometimes scary world, God, to be a salt and a light. God, I pray for all my Christian brothers and sisters that they would feel your spirit in this room and hear his voice challenging them, encouraging them. God, I pray for comfort for my friends in this room and at home who are aching and hurting from the pain they're experiencing in life. God, don't waste this pain. Use this pain to point them to you, God, to speak into them. Because God, we are far, far, far more blessed than stressed because nothing can separate us from your love. So God, pour out your love on us. In the name of Jesus, we pray.